Luke chapter 5. This morning we'll cover verses 12 through 16. Before we begin, let's pray and ask God's grace. Father, we're thankful so much for your word. We're thankful for this morning. We're grateful that we are yours in Christ Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would make us more like yourself. Make us more like your son. Form Christ in us. That we would have your heart. That we would have your love. That we would have your passion and compassion. Father, help us to see Jesus this morning. He'd be revealed fully to us that we would understand him understand ourselves and understand our world that we would grow for we ask this in christ amen well luke chapter 5 beginning at verse 12 let's read the word of the lord while he was in one of the cities there came a man full of leprosy and when he saw jesus he fell on his face and begged him lord if you will you can make me clean And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You know, in order for us to relate to this passage, we have to understand that leprosy in that particular day and age was a disease that had tremendous amount of social stigma attached to it. And it was built up over generations and generations of people who who understood the law of God. And what ended up happening to this particular person is that they got ostracized in in a way that made it very, very difficult for them to live. It was extremely horrible. And if you're old enough, you'll remember back in the 80s and 90s when the AIDS epidemic hit. And you will remember that for a while, when it first started exploding and everybody's finding out about this, there was a fair amount of social stigma beginning to be attached to it and a fair amount of false perception, false understanding. We didn't realize exactly how this was transmitted and, and the buzz and everybody, the way they talk about it, man, if you, if you touched someone with AIDS, you could get it. If you, you know, if you drank from the same cup, if you sat on the same toilet seat, there really was starting to get like this weirdness about it. And Anybody who had it was kind of like, woo, stay away because I could end up with it. And it took some time, if you recall, for us to really understand it and for them to clearly communicate about it. And before we began to realize that you can actually uh, not have to freak out and worry about it as long as you, you know, you live a, a decent life <laughs> for, for the most part. And, and so... We have now, to the point, it's completely different. But it gives us a little bit of a window inside of what it's like. Let's just say, now let's, let's just say for a moment, back in that time, all of a sudden, you had some kind of a rash on your skin, and you could clearly identify who the person was who had it. That would have made it even worse. I mean, it would have, they, they would have, it would have been like they had the plague and you better be running from them because with our understanding of it, and, which was not very good at first, 
and the social stigma of it, if you could identify those people, it would have been bad for them. And, and likewise, that's a very similar situation to this leper here we see in the text. And everyone would be freaked out about this. But what's interesting about leprosy is that it wasn't this one kind of disease, leprosy. Like, leprosy is one thing, and it's, this is what it is. Leprosy is actually much broader. And then when they are describing medical conditions, they weren't highly specific like we are today, giving things specific names, you know, Latin name or whatever, to make sure that we specifically understand it. It was more, it was more general and broad than that. Leprosy was, was basically skin, a skin disease. And I just want to quickly have us see and understand leprosy a little bit better. If you have your Bibles and you can flip, quickly flip oh, back to Leviticus chapter 13, we'll see what, how it's described, and then we'll also see what is supposed to happen to somebody who has leprosy and how it dramatically affects them. Leviticus chapter 13, turn there, starting at verse 1, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons of the priest. And the priest shall examine the diseased area of the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. Okay, so it's deeper than the skin. It's into the flesh. And the hairs around it turn white. This is very important to understand. And that would be called leprous disease. Now, if we were to take the time, actually, if you're interested this afternoon, it's a fascinating chapter. Read the rest of the chapter and you will see that... This included boils, burns, beards, hair, spots on the skin of any kind. Now, it isn't like one specific disease where you said, this is exactly what it looks like. It can come from various ways. And they would look at it. The priest would examine it and say, is it open? And two, is the hair white? That's what he's looking for. And what he would do is he quarantined this person for seven days. And if, and if when, in the end of seven days he comes back and it looks like it ha- it's not spreading, it's localized, he's to quarantine for another seven days. And then if it looks like it's starting to heal, well, then the priest at that point pronounces him clean and he's back in the community. However, if it's spreading and it's not healing, then at this case they pronounce him unclean. He's a leprous person. Now, turn down to verse 45 of Leviticus 13. And here we'll see how they were to treat the person, this leprous person who contracted this. Verse 45 says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair, the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip like this and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Listen to what it says here. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, this is fairly significant. The horrible thing about becoming a leper is that you were cut off from family, 
You were cut off from friends. You were cut off from the community. And most importantly, most significantly, you were cut off from God in a sense. Because God, when it says outside the camp, the way Israel was designed is that God's in the center with, his ta- with the tabernacle or the temple and the tribes on the outskirts. And when you're outside of that, it's, you're basically put outside of the presence of God, not able to draw near to him, not able to go to the temple where God is at this time. So this is significant. And the reason for this, you might think, well, why? Well, because this is contagious and it spreads. It's actually for the sake of the community, so it doesn't spread throughout everybody, and everybody ends up with it, and next thing you know, wow, we're all, we're all lepers, every one of us, and now we've got these diseases, that's eat, our, our, our flesh is beaten, eaten off, and we're dying from it. So today, we know what it's like to quarantine people, or to put them aside, or realize we know how diseases can spread if we're not careful, and we got... Something going through the church right now. It's, that stuff happens, right? And so we know the importance of actually trying as best we can to quarantine somebody or put them aside until it looks like it's the contagious aspect is gone and they're, they're able to be entered back into the community. And that's just a matter of love. And so in this particular case, what's so horrible about this, it's just not like a passing cold or flu. This could be the situation for this person's life. And in our text, back, if you turn back to, to Luke, Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, you notice what it says about this person? There came a man, and what was he? Full of leprosy. Full. Full of leprosy. Head to toe, this man was full of it. He had a skin disease that covered his whole body. He was in a bad shape. And no one, no one including us, would want to get too close to him. However, this man hears about Jesus. He hears about what he's doing. And he desperately seeks him. And no kidding, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, you're cut off from everybody. Think about this, from everything. And you hear that there's someone who's just, and we're not talking partial healing. We hear this people heals people completely, like fully restored. Well, he, so he's desperately going after Jesus, longing to be healed from this, not just because of the disease itself, but because of the social stigma and what it's done for him in relationship to God and the community. So he, the leprous man seeks Jesus. And we have to understand that what Jesus does for him exposes and shows the very nature of Jesus himself. He is a savior. Jesus saves to the uttermost, completely. He's not a man of mere words, Jesus is. He's the God-man who has the power to deliver you, to deliver you from your greatest enemies and your greatest afflictions. Resurrection life flows out of him. And he gives to those who seek him. He truly is the fountain of life. Out of Jesus comes life. You know, so often we hear of remedies, don't we? We live in a world where we're always looking for remedies. And everyone seems to always have a new remedy. Here, drink this, or eat this, or do this, or do that. This thing will help you. I've heard, you know, especially now if you get social networking. Man, if you read an article, boom, all your friends and neighbors and everybody knows about it. And so everybody's out buying this particular fruit, trying to get healed. And, and sometimes there's, there's effectiveness to it, there's helpfulness to it, but it's nothing like Jesus. 
And we get pretty excited. Just think of how excited we get when we've got something that we'd like to get removed. And we hear that there's some kind of remedy possible. You ever been there? You ever get excited about that and run out and try it? And uh, Okay, a little bit. Maybe it helps. In some, t- some cases, it helps a lot. It's a tremendous amount. And if it really helps and you get really excited, then you want to tell others about it. And so this is, this is something we're all familiar with. We know what it's like to have something that we do not like or want, and we want to be removed. And if we hear of something that might work or help, we run after it. Now, imagine this. We're not talking something that might help. You've heard that this person utterly to the uttermost completely heals you. Gone instantaneously. And this is why in this text we're seeing these large crowds. As you could imagine, I'm in line. Sign me up. This is amazing. Most importantly, and this is what we have to understand, what Jesus is doing for this particular man, the most important thing that's happening right here and what Jesus does is this man is now able to be restored to draw near to God. He's able to be restored to his family and friends. Now, God is the God of all life and all goodness. All life comes out of him, and apart from him is death. There is no life apart from him. And you've got to understand, in a, in a real way, because of how Israel was set up, he was this picture of a man cut off from God. But now he's able to draw near. Jesus is going to allow him to draw near to God, to the source of all life, so his soul can be filled with life. And restoration, he can now take his sacrifice and draw near to God once again. He can now go home. He can now be with his family, his friends, and be accepted in the community. This was a huge deal. Jesus is an amazing Savior. Jesus saves to the uttermost. And this leprous man seeks Jesus because he knows and has heard what he could do for him. And you know what's most fascinating about this? is that Jesus is more than willing, more than willing. He's excited to save this man. Verse 13, it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Because prior to that, he's asking, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you can, but if you will, if you want to, you will. And Jesus says, I will. I want to. You know what's even more great? is in Mark chapter 1. It says that Jesus was moved with compassion. We see Jesus' heart. And don't miss the fact that you see in verse 13, and Jesus, what's the first thing Jesus does here? And Jesus what? Stretched out his hand. Now, why is that so significant? Who's he stretching it out to? For them to see that gesture, would you be stretching out your hand? Would you be stretching it out to touch this man? Not a chance. But Jesus, moved with compassion, he stretches out his hand to this man. And just everybody might have been, oh, whoa, what's going to happen now? He's, whoa, no way, he just touched that man. I can't. Maybe you could have even heard a gasp, right? Jesus stretches out his hand. I will. I, I do will be healed. He, he could have... Everything we've read so far, and so far in Luke chapter 5 and 4, when Jesus is working, he's been just been working with the power of his word. He hasn't, in, in the case of the fish last week, he just, it was 
just his will. He didn't say anything, and the fish jumped in the net. But this week, we, uh, this particular passage this time is different. He touches a leprous man. And instead of leprosy coming on to Jesus, power and life and healing go on to this man. And I don't know, it could have, it would have been something else to see him transfigured in front of you. Because all of it went away. And he's perfectly well again. You know, what Jesus is doing here, when he says, I am willing, he's expressing his heart. I am more than willing because this is the very reason why I've come. He desires to heal. He desires to save. And as we looked at last week, this is the whole point, the whole purpose of him being on the earth. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to deliver people like this man. This is why he's here. This is the point. And it's really important that we see the heart of Jesus here. See his compassion. See his hand. He's just, he's just not this powerful guy who's strutting through. See, I healed, uh, be healed, shazam, boom, bam, whoo. You know, like somehow I'm just this powerful guy and I'm rolling through. Anybody, anybody want some? Boom. You know, it's, it's not like this at all. It's this compassionate man. He's moved with compassion. He sees a leper and he says, Lord, if you're willing, I'll be healed. He says, I, I do will. I want to. This is my purpose. I, I, I long to heal you and I do. You're healed. We've got to see the compassion. We've got to see the love. We've got to understand that Je- this is why Jesus came. He does this because he wants to. He's not, you know, something about Jesus. You notice where he's hanging, where he's dwelling, who he's with. He's not mocking it up with the elite. He's not seeking seats of power. He's not trying to get in with Herod. Or the successful businessmen of the day, is he? He's in the trenches with the sick with the poor, with the outcasts, ultimately with sinners. That's where Jesus is at. That's where he's at. And these are the people his heart breaks for. These are the people he has compassion on. You know, we ought to also understand that he doesn't have anything against, nothing against the powerful, nothing against the elite, nothing against the rich. But it's not... The healthy who need a doctor, is it? It's the sick. He didn't come for the righteous, but the unrighteous. And those people, they're fine. If they want to humble themselves and come to Jesus, he's more than willing. It's not that he's against them. It's just that that's not where ministry is. If you guys want to humble yourselves and come to Jesus, then, I'm, he, he's, then he is more than willing to heal them and do whatever he can for them as well. And plenty of them did. But you notice how he, that's not where he's at. He has... Very strong words. If you notice Jesus' strongest words, who, do they, who are they addressed to? The self-righteous. Those who think they have it all together, those who aren't in any need, he has some really tough words for. But to everyone else, he's got, you know, to the poor, to the sick, to the outcasts. What does he say to those? Those trapped in sin, those feeling the pains of all that has happened in their lives. What does he offer them? Healing. He offers them deliverance. He offers them grace. 
To the woman at the well who's looking for water, what does he offer her? He says, I have water that if you drink of, you will never thirst again. Really? Yeah. That's what Jesus offers her. And who's she? An outcast, a sinner. She'd probably think, I'm the chief of sinners, and nobody wants anything to do with me. I'm so dirty and ugly. Jesus, Jesus says to her, I have water for you. So you, wouldn't even, you drink of it, and it'll go deep down into the soul. So to the broken, to those trapped in sin, to the sinners, to those who are, who are real, feeling the oppression of life, those who are broken by it, Jesus has compassion, and he seeks to reach out and heal. He's more than willing to cleanse. So, you know, even for us, if you're sitting here this morning, if you think you're righteous, then you really don't have much need for Jesus. But if you're unrighteous, and you know how wretched and miserable you really are, then you know you have a disease that covers you from head to toe, your toe and in, in a sense you're full of, full of leprosy. Jesus is more than willing. Ask him the question, Lord, are you willing? If you're willing, you can heal me. And what does Jesus say? Oh, I'm willing. I'm willing. But all you have to do is come to me in brokenness, and I'll heal you. I'll restore you. In fact, Jesus says, it's not a side note. It's the whole reason I came. The whole reason I came is to seek and to save that which is lost. But the lost, the sick, the diseased, the leprous person, if they come to Jesus, he heals them. If they feel they have no need of him, he doesn't. You know, it's interesting also as we move on in this text, uh, it's somewhat shocking what Jesus tells this leprous man after he heals him in verse 14. He says, and he charged him to tell no one. That's quite interesting. He charged him to tell no one, but to go and show himself to the priest and to make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof of them. If we're to go back into Leviticus 13, which we, we started to read, it was the priest. You go to the priest. He's the one who declares clean or unclean. And that's how it's to work. He's to examine it, and he was to declare you unclean. He knew that he's to go to show himself to the priest. He sends him there. And the priest is going to look at him and go, well, there's nothing. You're clean. The priest will pronounce you clean, fully clean. In fact, there's no evidence that it ever existed. Wow. But Jesus, he says, I didn't come to destroy the law, to fulfill the law. And so he has the man go and do what the law says. But he tells him not to say anything. And so what's interesting here is that Jesus doesn't always want zealous testimony as much as he wants obedience. It's interesting. He tells him to tell no one. However, that's not always the case. On the flip side, we know in, in actually in Mark 5, 18 through 20, the opposite is true. He actually tells the person to go. Share. You remember the man who had a legion of demons? Cast out of him, they're sent into the pigs. It says this in Mark chapter 5, 18 through 20. And he was getting into the boat, Jesus, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. 
It's completely opposite. Here, he's commanding them, in that particular case, in Mark, to go. I, just go and tell, tell them what the Lord has done for you. And he goes and tells everybody. In this particular case, back in Luke chapter 5, he says, don't tell anyone, but go and fulfill the law accordingly. But is, is the case, if you read the Gospels, whenever he tells people to do this, they often don't listen to him, and they go tell everybody anyways, because they're so pumped and so excited they can't keep their mouth shut. So it's important to understand, Jesus isn't opposed to people testifying about his power and goodness. In fact, he does command it at times. But it isn't like it is the ultimate goal in every case. In my life, I've seen plenty of extremely zealous people for ministry in the name of God, but yet not very obedient. And I'm sure you've heard of stories as well. People actually neglecting their families in the name of the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. And yet the Lord clearly calls husbands to love your wives as Christ loved the church, to disciple your children. If they're not loving their wives, they're not discipling their children, but they're off doing the work of the Lord. Well, the Lord has spoken to them and told them what he wants for them and how it is there to serve the Lord. If you're married, husbands, love your wives. Disciple your children. But often... In our zeal sometimes, we think, oh, it's more important to serve the Lord. No, don't confuse it. It's not either or. Serve the Lord by obeying Him in this area of life that He's called you to and not this other. However, it's not like it's either or often. Sometimes it's just a matter of balancing our lives. That's really what we ought to do is, is balance our lives and serve the Lord appropriately. It was interesting also as Jesus doesn't say, if you love me, you will go into ministry. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And by obeying his commands, sometimes the ministry that we often think there's only usually one or two kinds of ministry, everything else is just secular. It's not. It's ministry because it's done as unto the Lord. The, thing, the, the place where God has you, he's called you to live and to be and be faithful in that particular calling. And there, serve the Lord. In fact, it's interesting. I find it very fascinating that in in the Gospels, Jesus says this, that in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And he will say, away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. So what's more important? This powerful, amazing ministry or obedience to the Lord? should be obvious. So we can't be confused here and understand. It's it's very interesting that he says this to this man. And clearly, it's not like this man is condemned because he probably went out and blabbed everywhere and did what the Lord told him not to do. It takes some time. We do, in their zeal, make a lot of dumb mistakes. The Lord is very kind and gracious, and and he will learn obedience over the years as long as he continues to repent and turn to God and, uh, and learn and grow. But I don't want to establish the wrong point from this text. Clearly, he tells him not to tell anybody to go show himself. But we shouldn't take from this now, oh, well, see, we're commanded we shouldn't say anything to anyone. Because, in fact, what we have to understand is that Jesus comes on earth with a mission. And his mission here is to go after these people, right? And we see his heart, and he's called his church to do the same thing. 
Now, all of us, I mean, the, probably in, in terms of Redeemer Church and where we're at, I think that uh, what would Jesus say to us? Well, I think he would probably say the opposite to us. Why don't you go tell somebody what the Lord has done for you? Why don't you tell someone? Now, here's something that we have to, I think, to understand. is not to take away from this that Jesus, he, he says, he wants obedience more than this zealous testimony at times. But I think we have to understand, obedience, obedience to the Lord is is part of partly in our lives to not excuse or dismiss the er, an area of our life that I think we really need to improve on, and that is reaching out to lepers. And I'll put lepers in quotations. Reaching out to sinners, those whom and remember last week I talked about often that that's us them. We don't like to touch them. We don't like to get too close to them. We don't like to get too near them. Why don't we? Well, look at them. Look at the way they talk. Look at the way they dress. Look at what they do. Look at how they vote. Look at them. They're leprous. And Jesus is calling us, no, walk off the street and touch them. Have compassion on them. Because while, while we're on earth, we are the body of Christ who should have the heart of Christ and have compassion just like he did. Compassion. Love them. Bless them, serve them, give them, touch them, and tell them of the wonderful things the Lord has done. Because you know what? Don't forget that you, before Jesus comes along, who are you but a vile and gross leper full of it from head to toe? Don't forget that. And if you have any recollection of what it's like to have leprosy, again in quotes, to have the disease and know what it's like for God to forgive, to heal, to restore, to cleanse. That should fill your heart for compassion for those out there who are full of the disease. And with that heart of Jesus to move toward them, to serve them, to give to them. But you know what? If you're serving, if you're giving, if you're pouring out, do you know what you also need? You need to follow Jesus. Because watch what Jesus is doing. He's pouring out. He's giving, he's giving, he's giving. And look at verse 15. But now even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Massive crowds pressing upon him. And I love what it says in verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus needs input if he's to continue with the output. And the same is true for all of us. Jesus had to get away and spend time with the Father and the Spirit and be refreshed and restored. This was absolutely necessary for him. His favorite and most delightful community to be a part of. To be with the Father, to be with the Spirit, and to be in communion and to be in fellowship and to have time together. Just quiet. Get away from the crowds and be restored, be refreshed. This was of absolute importance to Jesus. It was, his, it was his life. He needed to enjoy the Father and the Son. He needed to be rebuilt, strengthened. As much as we exhale, we have to inhale, right? If we don't inhale and we don't just exhale, we pass out. 
So a properly balanced life is one that's inhaling and exhaling. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's not just exhaling, he's inhaling. Because without that, he couldn't continue. In like manner for us, this is an important aspect. If we are to be effective in any ministry we have before God, and all of us have ministry, much, much that we're called and required to do before the Lord, aren't we? There's much on our plates. We need to heed what Jesus is saying here. But not just this. This is what I think we can, we can read this. Think, yeah, I need time to pray. I need time to read. I need time to do these things. And yeah, yeah, I know. And it's not just this. What I'm saying is like you need to carve out some time so you can check off your reading list. You pray like, okay, read, I prayed, I did my chant, I'm out of here. I did my token thing, and I'm not really sure what it's supposed to give me. It didn't give me too much, but I did it anyway, and so away we go. What, he's, what Jesus is doing here is enjoying, delighting, communing. He isn't checking any list. And we need to be real careful we're just not checking a list and doing what we need to do. And you know what it takes in order to really pray and enjoy God? It takes time and it takes quiet. You've got to slow down. You've got to carve some time where you can just be with God and enjoy Him, delight in Him. When's the last time you enjoyed the Lord? Just enjoyed. Where you could hear, it's quiet enough that you can hear, if you're outside, the birds singing, you can smell the air, and nothing's pressing down on you, and you're just focused on the goodness and kindness of the Lord. We all desperately need that. We need to be refreshed. We need to be strengthened. And I would recommend to you, if you're a checklister, you know, I do my devotional time, I read this, I do that, to just, just try to enjoy the Lord and wait on Him. Think about His goodness, think about His mercy, and if you have reading, take your reading, do your reading, but have time to take, after you've done your reading, to just set it aside and ponder it. Think about it. Maybe use, that's what spins you off in another direction. You start thinking of an aspect of God that, you know, the fact that he's in control of everything. He governs it all. Look how good he is. If you don't have time to enjoy him and to have him refresh you and so you can speak to him and commune with him and have him strengthen you and fill you up, you're running on empty. The gas tank's low. And if you think you don't have time, well, that's the devil, and he's lied to you. You can't afford not to. As has been said before, you're too busy not to pray. You're too busy not to commune with with your God. He's the source of all life, of all goodness, of all power, and all love. You need to commune with that, with him. And as you commune, and as you enjoy, and as you delight, and as you have spend that time, you find yourself being strengthened. Enjoy him. Don't treat him like a checkbox. Enjoy him. Grab a coffee. Put your feet up. Get quiet. Do a little reading. And just let dwell on him. Dwell on his goodness. Dwell on his kindness. 
Dwell on his blessings. Dwell on his power. Dwell on his sovereign rule. Just rest in the fact that you imagine, just start thinking about his sovereign rule and governance over all things. And how he's controlling every aspect of your life. And let your worry just fly away. Dwell there. Receive. Do you guys need to receive? Do you need strength? Do you need comfort? Do you need help? Do you need this communion? Take the time. Take the time. Be like Jesus and get away. And, and if that time's good and delightful, well, now you're ready to go back and minister, to serve, to give, to reach out, to bless. We need to do this if we're to give anything to others. And just as Jesus departed to find what he needed, to find the strength and, and to dwell in communion with his Father and the Spirit, so do we need to do the same thing. Because I could just say this right now. Perhaps you're sitting here, and if we're again, like we, I talked last week, if you're to look at your level of compassion, your level of desire to reach out to the lost, your level of strength, your level of energy, your level, your, your level of desire at all, if it's real low, then you need time with God to strengthen you. You need time with God to fill your heart with his heart, to give you his love, his compassion. And last week, I challenged you to pray. Pray for at least one person or family. And I hope you're doing that. But before that, I said pray. First thing is pray that you'd have God's heart towards them, compassion. Be like Jesus and spend time and get his heart for them. And then start praying that God would show you this one person or family. And start praying for ways to reach out to them and connect with them and bless them. And start praying for, for ways to, to just build that relationship and that you would see them, as I said, in, within one year in the church. If you're going to do that, if you're going to have that heart, if you're going to take that up, you really got to take the prayer part serious. And you really have to be strengthened by God. And you really have to start to get his heart and compassion. And it will move you. It's so important. Because why are we here? You know, Jesus came to seek and to save. And we, his people, are Jesus on earth. We want to see lepers healed. We want to see lepers come to Jesus and restored. We want to see them strengthened. We want to see them conformed into the image of Jesus and then to go out and do the same for other lepers. Past lepers healing lepers and see those lepers become more and more like Jesus and those lepers reaching out and touching more lepers. As the people of God, as lepers who've met the Savior, the healer, let's, let's go and let's point lepers to the greatest physician ever known to man. Point them to the doctor. Point them to Jesus. And then watch those lepers be transformed, be changed, be healed, and become lovers of other lepers. That's what we need to do. To that end, we pray. Father, thank you so much.
that Jesus sought us out while we were leprous, cancerous, that we were full while we were exiled from your communion, exiled from joy, exiled from love, exiled from peace, exiled from the communion of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're so grateful, we're so thankful that we're able to draw near in Christ Jesus, that we have been brought into life, into communion, into this fellowship. And we ask, Father, that you would give us your heart for those leprous people out there who desperately need a physician. Oh, Father, may we have your heart and compassion and love. May you fill us up to overflowing. Amen.